Well, good morning, everyone. Happy rainy morning. And uh, since I get a microphone and a stage, I get to say happy Mother's Day to my mom, who uh, I don't know which service you're watching, mom, but I will call you later, I promise. Um, she's a big part of who I am today. I'm just really grateful for her. I'm excited to dive into our continuation of our Acts series. We're calling it Church, A Moving Story. We've been talking about how the Holy Spirit moves through the church to advance the kingdom of God. And today, we're going to talk about um, how the Holy Spirit works through humility. To begin with, I I think there's a a very common human experience that um, we all can relate to of being uh, judged unfairly. Have you, ever, have you ever been judged unfairly? Have you ever had somebody uh, criticize or make some assumptions about you that were, that were just not true? They just, and you've thought, if they only knew, if they only knew what I've been through, if they only knew what my life has been like, if they only knew how hard I've worked to overcome some things, then they wouldn't judge me so harshly. And the problem is they don't, they don't know. How, how could other people know your story, know how you've moved through life through difficult times and good times to get to where you are today? I mean, how could they know? But if it's true that other people don't know your story and often judge you unfairly, could it be true then that sometimes we judge other people unfairly because we don't know their story? And we make assumptions and we fill in the gaps of our knowledge with things that we imagine and just make up out of thin air. And this, this tendency we have to, to prejudge, um, it, it creates tension, it creates conflict, it breaks relationships. What if there's a better way? What if, what if there's a way to interact with people that um, can kind of remove that, that whole phenomenon from the way we relate to people? I, I believe there is, and I believe it starts with, with humility. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to work through humility in the church. But we need to have a good understanding of what humility is and what it's not. Uh, humility is simply the right view of self and others. Uh, I think many people have thought that humility is, being humble means I think, I think poorly of myself. I, you know, I, I don't ever admit that I'm good at anything, um, you know, I'm, I'm, not smart, I'm not as smart as you, I'm not as good as you, that's humility. Uh, that's really what we would call false modesty. Uh, and that's not humility, that's not a right view of self. Humility is the right view of self and others. So if there's a right view of self and others, that implies that there is also a wrong view of self and others. There's a wrong way for us to see ourselves. There's a wrong way for us to see the people around us. And that wrong way is really sourced in this limited information that we have. When we don't know the whole story and we make assumptions and we fill in the gaps with our imagination, then we, we do not have the right view of ourselves and others. So if, if the wrong view is based on limited information, then the only way to have the right view of ourselves and others is to have all of the information right? The only way I can judge you fairly is if I know everything about you. Well, how is that possible? The, the only way I can see myself the right way is to know everything there is to know about myself. 
I don't even have that. I don't even have all the knowledge of myself. I, I still, there are times when I do things or I say something, I'm like, where did, where did that come from? I, don't, I didn't know that was in there. I learn things about myself all the time. So I don't have enough information to even judge myself correctly. So how do I get the right view of self and others? I, I have to look to someone who has all the information. And thankfully, there, there is someone. Our creator, the one who made us and who loves us and who bought us and redeemed us and invited us into his family. He actually knows everything about me and he knows everything about you. So humility, if I'm gonna have the right view of self and others, I have to adopt God's view of myself and God's view of you. I have to learn to see myself and to see you the way God sees you. Well, how, how does God see me? He sees all my flaws all my sins, all my weaknesses, all the good and the bad in me, and he loves me like crazy. That's the right view of me. And if that's the right view of me, it's also the right view of you. He sees, he sees everything about you. He sees all the good and the bad in you, and he loves you like crazy. So humility is acknowledging that we're, we're broken and loved. We're, we're both of those things at the same time, all the time. We're broken and we're loved. So the Holy Spirit wants to work through humility to move the kingdom forward through the church. The problem is um, we struggle with humility. So we're gonna take a look at um, an encounter that Peter had in, in Acts chapter 10 and a little bit into 11. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along. We're gonna kind of summarize the story as we go through this together and see how the Holy Spirit encounters Peter's pride and works through Peter to help him see people the way God sees them and then grows the church through that. In Acts chapter 10, we meet a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is not a Jew. He's a Roman centurion. And the Romans typically had their own religion. They had a pagan religion. But this man, Cornelius, actually believes in the God of the Jews, the one true God, Yahweh. And he worships him and he obeys him. And because he's faithful to Yahweh, Cornelius gets a visit from an angel. And the angel says, hey, thanks for the, you know, the worship and obedience to God. That's awesome. Um, because of your faithfulness, um, we want you to know what the next step is. So you need to send some people to a town called Joppa and you need to ask for a man named Peter and you need to invite that man into your home. This would have been a challenge for Cornelius because the Jews and the Romans did not get along. In fact, Jews that did get along with the Romans were considered traitors to their countrymen. And the Jews didn't respect the Romans at all. They considered them oppressors and they wanted them out. And Cornelius knows all this. This is the culture that he grew up in. So he's being asked to invite Jews into his home. It's unlikely that he's ever done that before. But when an angel of God shows up in your living room and tells you to invite Jews into your home, what do you do? You invite Jews into your home. So he sends some men to Joppa to go find Peter. Meanwhile, Peter is in Joppa and he's staying in this home. He's up on the roof and uh, he's praying and he gets hungry. So he, he, sends, he sends down, he calls down uh, to the butler, I guess, I don't know, and says, hey, I'm hungry. Can you guys fix some good 
kosher Jewish food? And they said, sure. And while he's waiting for the food to come, Peter has a vision and a sheet or a blanket kind of thing falls down from the sky right in front of him and it's filled with all kinds of animals. But they're, they're all animals that, that Peter would not have eaten because of Jewish food laws. And a voice from heaven says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Hey, if you're hungry, man, here's food. Peter looks at the animals in this blanket and he says, I can't eat any of that. I mean, these are all animals that are from, have you read Leviticus 11? Leviticus 11 sort of outlines all the, the animals that the Jews can eat and the ones they can't eat. And Peter's like, there's, there's pigs in there. I can't, eat, I can't eat out of this blanket. I have never allowed unclean food to pass my lips. And the voice says, do not call common what God has made clean. And the sheet goes back up into the sky. And then it comes back down again and it's filled with all the same animals. And the voice says again, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, no way, I do not eat unclean food. I have never, I would never. And the voice says, do not call common what God has made clean. For Peter, this is not just a matter of preference of he likes some foods and doesn't. To him, it's a matter of righteousness. If a Jew becomes unclean by eating animals they're not supposed to eat, they're not allowed to interact with other Jews or to worship God or to come to the temple until they get clean again. So we're not just talking about his hands are dirty, he needs to go wash up before supper. We're talking about Peter has to go through a process to be purified again if he eats unclean food. And the voice says, do not call common or unclean what God has made clean. So he has the vision three times and he's kind of just hanging out on this rooftop, scratching his head about this. What in the world is this about? What, can I get a little more information? What is going on? And he's, he's praying and he's reflecting. I wonder if maybe he's reflecting on the words of Jesus from Mark chapter seven when Jesus says, it's not the food that comes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's, it's what comes out of you. It's the words that you say. It's your actions that make you unclean. And I wonder if Peter's going, maybe God is trying to tell me that I can eat bacon now. Wouldn't that be awesome? I don't think he knew how good bacon was. He's about to find out maybe. He's, so he's, he's pondering all of this. And while he's pondering, there's a knock on the door. So he goes down, and these men have come from Caesarea from a man named Cornelius, and they say, Peter, an angel told us to come and find you. You're supposed to come to our master's house and tell him about Jesus. And Peter has a decision to make. Peter knows that he's not supposed to go into the home of a Gentile. He knows that it's really weird for a Roman to invite him into his home. But he's starting to put some pieces together from the vision and then these men just showing up at his door right after the vision. So he goes. He goes to Cornelius' house. And when he walks in, he says, hey, you guys all know I'm not supposed to be here, right? <laughs> you know that this is not normal. Not only is it not normal, what Peter says is it is unlawful for Jews to receive hospitality from Gentiles. It's against our rules, our religious rules. But I'm here, and I'm here for one reason. Here's, here's what he says in Acts 10, 34. 
Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. So Peter has put some things together from the vision. He's, he's, he's understood that God's not just talking about bacon when he says, don't call common what I have called clean. He's talking about people. And when Peter says, I understand that God shows no partiality, we kind of go, yeah, obviously. Obviously, God doesn't show favoritism among people, but that was not obvious to the Jews. They, they believed that God did show partiality. In fact, that's, that's sort of their whole national identity is we are God's favorite people. God picked Abraham because Abraham was awesome and God you know, blessed Abraham and his whole line and we're, we're part of that blessing. They actually believed that God had chosen them because they were his favorite people on the planet. Even though there's evidence all throughout the Old Testament that God loved the whole world. And so this is news to the Jews that God doesn't show partiality. And it's something Peter's just putting together because of this vision and, and the timely visit and request to come to Cornelius' house. So he says, God shows no partiality and he proceeds to share the gospel with Cornelius and his whole family. And they believe it. They believe the good news that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they begin to demonstrate evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, speaking in tongues and prophesying. And Peter says, we gotta get you guys baptized. And so they baptize the whole family. And these lives are changed because Peter was able to go from a place of bias against the Gentiles. This, this culture that he had grown up in that said, those people were not chosen. Your people were chosen. Those people were not chosen. And there must be a good reason. They must be somehow less than. He's able to go from that place of pride to a place of humility where he says, if God says they're in, then they're in. Scripture talks about this kind of partiality in other places. One particular one is in James chapter two. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this letter. Here's what he writes in chapter two. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes comes into your, uh, also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you can sit down by my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. James says, showing partiality, showing this kind of favoritism, and in his, in his context, the church that he was writing to, it was a rich and poor kind of thing. It was people in the church were honoring the rich and giving them the best seats, um, which, which, which are these, by the way. I know you guys, you guys are like, well, we don't want people to think we're rich. That's why we're not sitting in the front row, right? I couldn't pay you guys to sit in the front row, could I? Uh, but they're giving the rich the best seats and they're giving the poor the worst seats. And, and friends, this didn't, this didn't go away after James wrote this. Uh, when uh, we visited Boston uh, a couple times, you get to the old North Church. You can go into the old North Church um, and see the, the pew boxes. So they, they have their pews arranged in little cubes, cubicles. And um, the ones up front, really close to the, 
the stage are all really nice. They have like wallpaper lining the box and they have cushions on the seats and they have these little boxes under the seats where you put hot bricks or coals in the winter to keep your feet warm. They're really, they're plush. But then the farther back you get from the stage, the seats just get worse and worse until like the ones in the back are just really like cramped in. They're very uncomfortable. This, this was from America just, you know, a few hundred years ago where they were still doing this. If you, were, if you went to this church, you had to buy your seat. And if you could afford to buy a good seat, you bought the closest one you could and you decorated it like you wanted to. And that's how they, that's how they did church. I think that's a great idea. I think we should go back to that. We're gonna start auctioning off the back row. And you have to pay a little extra if you wanna sit back there. I think that'd be a great fundraiser. Anyway, this is sort of the partiality that James is dealing with. And what, what James means by partiality is that people have prejudged some people and assigned value to them based on their judgment. Now, what we would call that in, in our modern terms is, is more like discrimination. Discrimination comes from somewhere else. It comes from something that's happening in our heads before it comes out in our actions. And we would call that prejudice. Prejudice is, is it sounds really negative. It's not always negative. Prejudice is just prejudging. It's, it's putting people in categories based on what you do know. We don't know everything about people, but we, we see somebody or we hear something or we recognize a group of people and we begin to put people in categories based on what we know about them. And there, there are some cases where, where that is what keeps you safe, you know? There's some, some places where you, it's, you shouldn't go because it's dangerous, because uh, there's criminal activity there and, there. and there are signs of that and you recognize the signs and you, you avoid dangerous places, right? So it's not always bad, but, but prejudice is just this internal bias that we have that says people who are not like me uh, and, and different, they're different and sometimes their differences are, are bad. It makes them less than me or sometimes their differences make them better than me and we, we, we have reverse prejudice where we, we elevate some people because of assumptions that we make about them. The, the challenge, the danger of prejudice is that it can turn into discrimination because the prejudice is kind of what happens in our heads it's, it's creating these categories, it's these internal biases. But when it comes out, what happens is, is what we call discrimination. That's where we have assigned value to people based on our prejudgments. We've said, because you're different, you are less than. And then we begin to treat people as less than because they're different. That's discrimination. Everyone has prejudice, everyone has bias. But not everyone has to cross that line into what James would call partiality and what we would call discrimination. But it happens. It, it happens uh, even in the church. You know, it happened in the church that James was writing to. It happened way back when Peter is sitting on this rooftop and God is all primed and ready to open the doors wide for the Gentiles to come into the kingdom. But there's an obstacle. It's gonna be this stubborn Jewish pride of thinking that they're the only chosen ones. They're the only people God loves. And God is gonna have to break down that wall of pride for the Jews to have an open door, for the Gentiles to have an open door into the kingdom. So this, this, this is not new. It's been around for a long time, but we kind of wish we would have advanced beyond this by now. But there's prejudice in the church for sure. I think there's an age prejudice I think uh, there is a, uh, a tendency to withhold respect from people in different generations from you. So, so we see this, um, I have older folks tell me, young people just don't respect my generation. 
And, and what they're really saying is they don't respect me. Young, young people look at us and they see people that are, that are you know, out of touch with reality and they don't respect us at all. It's not fair. It's not right. It goes the other way too. I have young people come to me and say, man, the people in the older generations, they just think we're all lazy and bums and we don't do anything. We don't know how to do anything useful and we, they just don't respect us at all. <clears throat> and both generations would look at the other and say, hey, you gotta earn my respect, right? Don't you have to earn it? <clears throat> no, that's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of the kingdom of God. People in different generations don't have to earn your respect because they are already created in the image of God with infinite, infinite value and worth to God. They are people that God loves. They are people for whom Jesus died. They don't have to earn your respect. That's not how we do things in the kingdom. But that age bias and prejudice exists, turns into discrimination at times. There's a socioeconomic bias, I believe, that's still present in the church community, very similar to what James is talking about here, how we may treat people differently based on their income level or what kind of car they drive. We start to make assumptions about people. Well, if, if they have money, they must be smart and they must be successful and they must be wise and maybe, maybe they're blessed by God. And that's, that's why they have that. And if they don't have money, maybe it's because they're, they just don't work hard. They're not very smart. Or maybe God is, is trying to teach them a lesson. We begin to make assumptions about people based on something meaningless, like how much money they have in the bank. That happens. We have ethnic prejudice in our culture and even in the church, sadly, where we look at people who are different skin tone than us maybe different nationality, and we make assumptions and we start filling in the gaps of our limited knowledge with stuff that we just make up. And we assign value to people based on these assumptions. That happens, even in the church. The dangers of this, a couple of dangers, are first of all that we will deny that the prejudices exist. <clears throat> no one wants to admit that they have prejudice or bias but everyone has it. I'm not saying everyone is, uh, participates in discrimination, okay? Remember, that's a different thing. That's prejudice in action. But I believe everyone has bias. We put people in categories. It's human nature. It's what we do. And what we need to do is be able to recognize it and admit it and just be able to look in the mirror and go, yeah, I do think that way. When I see somebody who looks like this or talks like that or smells like that, I have these thoughts. And we need to... Stop denying it and admit it. The other extreme uh, on that coin is, is justification, is saying that, yes, I have these prejudices and biases, and those are good, and those actually keep me safe, and, and those people are different. They've earned the reputation that they have, which is not acknowledging the dignity of people who are created in God's image. And sometimes we, we can create these divisions and these prejudices based on very meaningless differences. We could divide this room right now into people who are wearing sneakers and people who are not wearing sneakers, okay? Let's just imagine this. It would be really fun to do it, but I won't make you get up. So sneakers people are gonna be on this side and non-sneakers people are gonna be on this side. And then I, I would ask you then to make, as a group, get together sneakers people and you make a list of all the things that make you different 
from the non-sneakers people, okay? And then non-sneakers people, I would ask you, make a list of all the things that make you different from the sneakers people. And if I made you write down enough things, eventually it's gonna turn nasty. Eventually it's gonna turn negative. And the sneakers people are gonna start looking at the non-sneakers people and go, man, they're so uptight. I mean, we're relaxed. We're, we're, we like to be comfortable. We, we just are who we are. And, and they're, just, they're just kind of putting on a show. And why would you wear uncomfortable shoes? That doesn't even make sense, right? And then the non-sneakers people are gonna be looking at the sneakers people going, what slobs? Why can't they dress up? Don't, aren't you supposed to bring your best into the house of God? I mean, why are you wearing sneakers to church in the first place? Have you no shame? Isn't this ridiculous? Because whether you wear sneakers or not is a very meaningless distinction between human beings, isn't it? It's silly. But when we focus on the differences, it's easy for it to turn negative and for us to make assumptions and to fill in the gaps because of our limited knowledge about people. Friends, I, I didn't make that up. That's a psychological test that's been performed hundreds of times in hundreds of ways, and it turns out the same every time. Because one thing we should have figured out by now about our culture is that if you wanna create division between people, just point out their differences. <clears throat> it's almost as if there was some kind of force out there <clears throat> called the media, that wanted to create division, that thrived off of division, and so just constantly pointed out the differences among people, that would be horrible to live in a culture like that, wouldn't it? So what's at stake when we allow these prejudices to take root in us and begin to turn into discrimination, begin to turn into assigning value to people based on differences? and then treat them based on this value that we just made up. What's at stake? Well, what would have been at stake for Cornelius? Cornelius would not have heard the gospel from Peter. He would not have heard the gospel from Peter if Peter lets his bias against Gentiles make his decisions for him about whether he's gonna interact with them or not, then Cornelius doesn't hear the gospel. And it's the same is true in our culture. If we let our biases make our decisions for us, and there are people that will not hear or see the gospel lived out in our community because of our biases. We thank God for Peter's humility and his willingness to change, right? I think we can also become content with disunity and brokenness in the church. We can look around and just go, yeah, there's division when we're different. I mean, we're gonna have division, right? Isn't, let's just face it. Let's just accept it and, and move on. We're we're a broken, disunified, disunified, ununified, divided. Let's go with that. We're a broken and divided people, and it's just how it is. Man, that, that would break the heart of Jesus for us to say that. Jesus, who went on his knees before the Father in John 17, and he prayed this one prayer for us. Let them be one. Let them be one so that the world will know. Because when the church is divided, we send a message to the rest of the world that what we believe in doesn't actually stand up, doesn't actually hold up to life. So there are some significant things at stake. We have got to go through this process that Peter went through. In Acts chapter 11, after Cornelius' whole family is baptized into Christ, Peter goes back to the Jews and he begins to tell them, hey, the door is open now. God has opened the door for the Gentiles. And there are some people who are saying, I don't think so. Did you circumcise them, Peter? Because they had to be circumcised. And Peter's like, nope, not my job. I'm not circumcising anybody. I don't, and, and Peter's like, 
let, let me just tell you what I saw. Let me just tell you what actually happened. And here's what he says in Acts 17, 11, 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we first believed, that gift is the Holy Spirit. When we first believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter said, if I don't get on board with the truth that everyone is invited, I am an obstacle to what God is trying to do in the world. I am an obstacle to the Holy Spirit trying to reach people that God wants to reach. If I stand in the way, of the truth, that everyone is invited. And this is what we see throughout the book of Acts. It's a moving story, but it's only a moving story if it's a story for everyone. Friends, the gospel is only good news if it's good news for everyone. And if we allow our biases and prejudices to prevent us from showing and telling the gospel to people of all kinds, we are standing in the way of what God wants to do. So we see, we see proud Peter at the beginning. He has this distorted view of self and others. And it is based on his culture. It comes from the way he was raised. But it has said that Jews are better than Gentiles. That's, that's just how he grew up. And when he's in this distorted view, this proud Peter, he loves God, but he's just not sure about the Gentiles. He loves people God loves, but he's just not sure God actually loves these people. And he believes that he's choosing righteousness by doing this. But then he's humbled. And humble Peter is different. Humble Peter has a right view of himself and others. And this right view didn't come from him. He didn't make it up. It came from God. God saying, hey, I love everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Humble Peter is teachable. He's open to changing his mind and admitting that he was wrong. Humble Peter is able to celebrate the inclusion of these people that he once excluded. So what about me? There's a proud me. There's a me where I have to ask, do I have a distorted view of myself and others? And friends, I often do. I often assume that I know myself better than anyone even God. I often assume that I know you just because I see things about you or I hear words that you say and I assume that I know you. And I begin to put people in categories and assign values based on your behavior or how you treat me or how you treat my family. This is a distorted view. This is proud Adam doing this. And when I'm, when I'm doing that, I carry these prejudices and biases. I sometimes let them turn into discrimination. I live with the risk of hurting people because I've put them in categories that are not fair. But sometimes there's a humble me that gets to break through. And the humble me is learning to see myself and others the way that God does. Learning to see all of us as created in the image of God with infinite dignity and value and worth. People that God loves. When I look in the mirror, I've got to see somebody that God loves in spite of all that he knows about me. And when I look at you, I have to see people that God loves, people that Jesus died for. That humble me should be teachable and open to learning, facing my prejudices and unpleasant things about myself and celebrating that God has invited everyone to life with Jesus. When I'm humble, I'm patient with myself and I'm patient with others as we're learning to deal with our prejudices 
And when I'm humble, I have people in my life who have permission to challenge me and encourage me to do better. That's humble me. I'm hoping for more of that every day. A few years ago, I, um, I took my son and a few other people to the Indy Pride Parade. Uh, it happens in June every summer. <clears throat> it's a gay pride event. Uh, we went down there not, not because we were supporting a homosexual lifestyle. We went down there because it was hot and I thought people might appreciate some free water. So uh, we took this cooler and we, we rolled it around and we just gave free water to people, told them that they're loved. And I took my son because I want him to know that everyone is invited to life with Jesus, that we don't get to decide who God loves. We don't get to decide who Jesus died for. I have a good friend who's gay and he doesn't know Jesus. And one of the deepest prayers of my heart is that he will one day accept the invitation to life with Jesus. But if I let my prejudices and biases assign value to him because of our differences, I will stand in the way of God reaching him with the good news that he was created for a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to stand in God's way. I don't want us as a church to stand in God's way. We've got to make a shift from pride and thinking that we know stuff that we just don't know. We've got to be teachable. We've got to learn to see ourselves and others the way God does. And when we do that, friends, what Jesus said, when the church is one, the world will know. The world will know who he is, what he's done for them, and that everyone's invited. I'm gonna pray a prayer that I'm gonna ask you to pray with me uh, right now. Um, and I'll just warn you, it's a, it's, it's a challenging prayer. It's one that you may not wanna pray because uh, of the danger that God might answer it. <laughs> I, I'm gonna pray that God will humble me to have the right view of myself and of the people around me. I just wanna challenge you to pray that prayer with me. Would you stand? And just as, as I uh, bow and, and go before the Father, I invite you to pray that prayer. God, humble me to have the right view of myself and the people around me. Let's pray. Father, we know that you're the only one who really knows us completely, other people completely, I ask for forgiveness for times when I have made assumptions and judgments about people based on my limited information. And I ask that you would humble me to have the right view of myself, to see myself the way that you see me and to see the people around me the way that you see them. God, I know that we're all broken and we're loved simultaneously, but sometimes I forget. Please remind me. Help me not to forget. And I pray that you would work through the humility of this church, that the Holy Spirit would have power as we humble ourselves, and that everyone around us would know they're all invited into your kingdom. Would you do that through us to the glory of your great name? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.